Vibe Talks. Vibe Talks. More than just music. I'm Aaron Tereski along with Michael and Shikarlo, and we're just here talking uh, sports, UFC, WWE, whatever comes to mind. Uh, so last week, Dana White made an announcement that he was going to have UFC events at a private island, but <laughs> that fell through, which I think a lot of people thought, like, oh, private island, like, what the hell's going on? Um, so what are your thoughts on that just being like, you know, that's his idea, and then it gets canceled, and now they're possibly going to have UFC events in Las Vegas. Um, so I think one of the one of the main takeaways, um, but MMA fans already know this, is that Dave, Dana White is a stubborn and persistent man, and it's a double edged sword in the sense that it's the reason why I think the UFC has gone to where they've gotten. Um, keep in mind, this is a company that was literally one fight away from being bankrupt, right? And now they're a multi-billion dollar company, right? They're valued at $4.2 billion, um, even more now. And, you know, that's – you have to believe that Dana White has had some part of it. But I think everyone can agree that Dana White has acted irresponsibly, um, selfish, and sometimes kind of outlandish. Um, like, just to kind of give you – a case-by-case basis of what's gone on here. So the fight gets canceled in New York, and then Habib gets locked out of Russia. Not locked out, locked in Russia, right? Yeah. And then they still persist and have a main event with a guy who's basically going to be fighting on six days' notice, sorry, two weeks' notice, versus one of the greatest lightweights of all time, at a casino resort on an, on the reserve while they build an island that a fighter island right <laughs> which sounds ridiculous so i think those i think you can see where the persistence and the stubbornness and you know the straight up like never say quit attitude can also be a detriment in some ways because you have to have some sort of grit and some sort of stubbornness in your soul to be told no so many times and then for it to take place. Oh, and by the way, the governor and the senator of California had to step in to talk to Disney to then talk to Dana to cancel the event. And Dana just said, aye, aye, boss, and didn't let it happen. So, you know, it's it's interesting on that front. Yeah, so... Uh... You brought up there, like, this whole thing with the uh, Fighter Island and all that. WWE recently was awarded essential business status in Florida. Vince McMahon, his relationship with Donald Trump. Uh, Dana White also has a special relationship with Donald Trump. So with this essential business thing, could we be seeing the UFC going to Florida and Las Vegas and Dana using that friendship to his advantage? Well, I think, okay, so... Keep in mind the UFC has an event slated for May 9th um, in the Apex Center in Las Vegas. They're performing, they're kind of small center where they run the contender series. They got that settled for May 9th. I don't know if they know something we don't where like they're planning to have life reopen May 9th. Um, but in terms of the WWE one, it's kind of interesting and I find it 
kind of convenient that this that the same day Linda McMahon gives yeah. the state of Florida an eighteen plus million dollar donation is the day that Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, decides that WWE is an essential business. I'm not I'm not accusing anybody. I just want that for the record. I'm not accusing anybody. I'm not alleging something went on. I'm just saying it's it's a bit of a kawinky dink, don't we think, guys? Like, you know, so yeah, yeah. I don't know if shenanigans like that are going to go on for the UFC or if they're still just straight up thinking, hey, this will just blow over in a couple weeks, and then we'll have like a closed door event May 9th between two of the best lightweights that we can offer that aren't named Habib or Connor. And, like, with the UFC, like, with since Dana White already canceled the upcoming events, you know, could he possibly say, you know what, I'm going to retract that and, like, we're going to have the events go on as is? You know, I think I think coronavirus, like, this whole virus um, has basically put life in a different tailspin. So, you know, like, for example, Rose Namajunas is probably not going to be fighting till this virus is dead, gone, and in the rearview mirror, driving away, right? Um, due to her issues of having two family members uh, die due to this virus, right? Those are some of those stories that can be rectified, right? What about the Bra- fighters in Brazil who can't leave Brazil because, you know, their prime minister, not their prime minister, but their, their leader of their country has decided that coronavirus is nothing to worry about, Right. These are the things that kind of put everything in perspective. So to answer your question, I don't think it would be business as usual per se, but I think, again, that persistent behavior of Dana White will try to get something. We'll try to get something going in the sense that, like, you're going to see a lot more stacked cards, right? You're going to see a lot more of these, like, super cards where you're seeing three title fights on May 9th. Um Hori Masvidal and Kamar Usman is shaping up to be another banger of a card. Um, and you're going to see, you know, some some prospects that Dana White's very high on on other cards as well. So it, I guess to answer your question in the basic term, yes and no would be the best way to, to answer it. And like, uh, you know, he probably sees now that WWE, since they've been deemed an essential business, he's probably thinking, OK, if they're essential business, we're, we are a central business, so let's, you know, try and cook something up here. I mean, yeah, and again, an important thing to note is is that one of the best camps, best MMA camps in the world in American Top Team, right, is a, you know, Florida-based um, training camp um, with a very, very wealthy um, benefactor and owner in Dan Lambert. So... You know, actually, very, very wealthy isn't the best isn't the best way to put him. You know, he's he's loaded. He's a loaded uh, um, man. So it'd be interesting to see the developings of what's going to go on. Um, you know, come May 9th. Um, but you know, will they do that at risk of uh, their reputation? And that's something that be, remains to be seen. Now with the uh, cart, everybody wants this fight. Khabib versus Tony. Fifth time now. It seems like whatever it's planned, 
now coronavirus happens. Do you think well they should have had Khabib and Tony if it was safe for Khabib to travel? Should that have still been the fight, or are you okay with them going with Justin Gaethje? Um, I I just don't see why they do it in in um I I don't see why they don't just do it in September. Originally, I was like I don't see why they don't do it in June, but then like I look, we all know Ramadan goes. A month starting in April. So like by May, by May, late May, Ramadan's over. Give Habib a couple days to rest. And then in July, he he fights. But Habib doesn't want to fight from April to September-ish. Right? And you have to respect his wishes. At the end of the day, you gotta sign a contract, right? Like at the end of the day, it takes two to tango. So you have to respect his wishes. And so why not just have the fight in September, October? Right. Don't Tony don't fight for a year. Rest up. Right. We already know Tony has a bad knee. Right. So why not just like have him take a break, you know, rest, you know, spend some time with his family, start to train camp back up in July. So I think it's interesting that they allowed that they just didn't wait for it um, for September, October area. And they've allowed Justin Gaethje to basically kind of be the play spoiler to ruin probably one of the more anticipated fights of all time if Justin Gaethje were to win. Um, If I were a betting man, I'd probably put a couple shekels on Tony, not going to lie. But, you know, it's interesting that they are so confident that they can still make money one way or another that they would have Justin Gaethje basically essentially play spoiler. Yeah, and uh, the other fight too. Now, if Gaethje and Tony go in and Gaethje's fighting style, let's say Tony gets hurt by just uh, like five-round war, you know, eventually Dana is going to want to say, Connor's available for October. Tony's out until December. Could be, what are you doing in October? He's basically playing into his hands. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's, you know, this is, he's basically playing into Habib's hands. And if Habib refuses, then Dana White has every justification to strip him. And you know how crazy Connor fans can be, right? Where something essentially ridiculous as stripping Habib because he doesn't want to fight a guy he's already beat um, would turn into Habib being a coward um, in the eyes of social media. I mean, here's the deal. Here's the deal. I think it would have been great to say, Tony, take a break. Connor versus Justin, May 9th, right? Then you have Connor waiting in, Connor or Justin, whoever wins, waiting in the stands come September, October, where you, you would assume if, you would assume, look, the way the graphs are looking, by around September, you should be able to get some sort of crowd or appearance the ability of a crowd appearance to take place, right? And you have one of them way in the stands, right? And you have Justin Gaethje and, sorry, and you have Tony and Habib come out and they have a fight if it happens. Because, you know, because the Lord knows it's been, it's been pretty bad. And they fight. And then Connor comes into the ring, sorry, into the octagon after the fight for whoever wins, says a couple Connor-like lines, and then, you know, you have security. What a scene that could have created, right? Yeah. Or you have Justin come in and he he's needs to be held back and he's, he's flipping over the cage to try to get to somebody. You know, these are the things that they, you know, if you play the long game, could have been great. But unfortunately, there, 
you know, they're not interested in the long game. Um, obviously, WME um, is a company that wants to make money as soon as possible. And we, we're here now. So I think that the biggest loser in all this is Tony in the sense that, like, Tony just doesn't know when to turn down the fight. He's too tough for his own good. Um, but he could win. He could win and this, and he could be fine coming out of it and it'll be all good, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And like, it's just so, so interesting to see. And you would, you know, Dana would, Dana Way, I think UFC fans in general, they would want both fighters to be at the top of their game. So, you know, if it were to happen September, October, I think UFC fans would just, you know, wait it out and, you know, see them beat the hell, living hell of each other. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, you know, it's, again, at the end of the day, this is the path they've chosen. Um, if you're an MMA fan, you're still going to watch Justin Gaethje. Like, he's not chopped liver. He's one of the best lightweights in the world. Um, you know, in my opinion, he's probably number four or five, depending on where you put Dustin Poirier. And he, I, I, I just think that, like, you know, Justin Gaethje does deserve a shot at it. It's just that. Habib versus Tony, I think, decides who is the greatest lightweight of all time, right? I don't think people really understand the gravity of the situation from a from a competition standpoint. I'm not talking about money standpoint. This is this is the MMA equivalent of Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan facing off in the '92 Finals. You know what I'm saying? Like this is what we're talking about here, and. So anything other than that is not, you know, it, it does not necessarily have the same level from a competition standpoint, have the same level of gravitas that a that a that a Tony versus Habib would have. With that being said, this is still going to be a good fight. It's going to be a great fight. It's going to be a barn burner. You have two guys with fan friendly styles. Um, who can go all night. I don't care what anyone says about Justin Gaethje's cardio. It's good enough to go all night. He has five-round experience and one of the hardest leg kickers in the game against a guy who can put a pace on people and is just well-rounded everywhere and is one of the more, and is one of the more underappreciated and underrated fighting genius, geniuses of our generation. So, you know, tune in. Tune in. And you're, you're going to like it. I'm just saying, right? You know, it's not Habib versus Tony in terms of, you know, putting a stamp to yeah. who is a top three. This Listen, Tony versus Habib would determine who gets to be in the top five of all-time great fighters. Of, you know what I'm saying? Not lightweight, all-time great fighters, right? And we don't get that and might not get that if – Tony were to lose or get hurt. Yeah, just a final MMA question on my end. Another guy that's um would be on that May ninth card, Henry Cejudo, Triple C. He seems to be another guy that a lot of people think might be a little bit underappreciated because he has an Olympic gold medal, all the stuff he's accomplished, beating uh, Mighty Mouse, beating TJ Dillashaw, then uh, Marlon Moraes, two division champ. If he beats now the big rumor is Dominic Cruz coming in and uh, stepping up because Aldo obviously can't make the fight. So if he beats Dominic Cruz, should his legacy be like someone that, okay, this guy's an all-time great and top five pound for pound in the world? Um, in theory, yes. 
In theory, yes, because Dominic Cruz, when he decided to, you know, when he's when it's all said and done, he's one of the greatest bantamweights of all time, right? So in theory, yeah, that that would probably be a legacy booster for Henry Cejudo. Here's the problem, though. The last time Dominic Cruz fought was I want to say 2017. Right. I mean, like we can. Yeah. So Cody Garbrandt versus Dominic Cruz. Actually, it could have been 2016 if my memory serves correctly. This is this is the problem that people are having is that, you know, I'm not saying he should fight Aljamain Sterling and only get 100K pay-per-view buys. That's not what I'm saying. Right. But there is there is a sense of feeling for a long, long time that the rankings do not matter. Right. So why do you have Peter Yan? I know he can't get out of Russia. I know Russia is locked and closed. But why do you have Peter Yan at number three and Dominic Cruz at, like, let's say, number seven, and you pick Dominic Cruz to fight? Right. Why do you have, um, you know, for example, Daniel Cormier, when he went to heavyweight and won the heavyweight championship, he picked Derek Lewis. Derek Lewis was way down the list. Stipe Miocic was available for you. Stipe Miocic was asking for you. What you do? You pick Derek Lewis because, you know, you wanted you wanted Derek you want to you want Derek Lewis in Brooklyn, right? These are the things people get. These are things MMA fans, in particular hardcore MMA fans, get frustrated with. You can't put a number two to somebody, right, and bypass them, right? Yeah. Um, now the argument is is that he's the only one available, but then you can't also sell this as a legacy boosting fight. If, you know, there's a whole bunch of guys ahead of him. Now, granted, Dominic Cruz, I still think, can beat a lot of these guys in this division. I still think Dominic Cruz can be a top three guy in this division. But we don't know because we haven't seen him fight in a long time. Okay, so NHL, uh, Gary Bettman, the commissioner, said today on Fox Sports that he he's guessing that his league can play in the summertime, hopefully have an end to the season. NBA kind of sort of same thing where Adam Silver's going to make a decision next month and see if he can play, you know, into the summer and, you know, who knows what's going to happen with next season. Basically, my question is, do you see the NBA and NHL having a conclusion to their season? For my fantasy teams, I, I would like to see it because I was in first place in both of my leagues when this happened, you know, the one year. Um, which kind of sucks, but <laughs> in all seriousness, um, I look. I think if they can't get a season going in June, you cancel because the problem is is that you know everyone likes their summer break. You know, everyone likes their summer break. Just think about it from a human perspective. No one likes to have their break in September and October, right? You know, everyone likes their break from July. To October, if you're an NBA player, sometimes if you're a team like the Orlando Magic or, you know, they made the playoffs last year. Never mind. I shouldn't diss them. If you're a team like the Atlanta Hawks, you like your break yeah. from from May till, <laughs> you know, to, to October. Yeah. And if you're a team like, you know, the Florida Panthers, that's that's you. You love it. Like you get to spend yeah. all like six months in warm weather in Florida. But as a person who's been to Florida in, in the winter months, it's not the same. And I think a, you're going to get a lot of upset NBA players if they have to play through the summer and forfeit that break and then have to have their season pushed back 
in December, and then that leaves the next season kind of weird in a weird place of limbo because do you do you move that season back up to September and all of a sudden you have this three year logjam where guys don't get as much of a break or an optimal break as they like and you know things just don't take place and I think the only solution is you start your season if you can start a season in July right whether it's a preseason or something if you can start your season in July there's a way to end it by September right. And then you can have like kind of like a restart session by October, November, right? Um, after, you know, like you can, there's a way to do it where you don't put the 2021, 20, season in jeopardy of being um, the season where guys are upset, right? Um, but if you can't get a season going by like, so if you can't get like a regular, like, the rest of the regular season and playoffs done by early August, by late August, I think it shouldn't happen because guys are going to be very upset. And uh, one of the players, right, LeBron James, you know, he said last week that if the season were to get canceled, I don't see how there could be any closure. Mm-hmm. And so he's basically like, you know, he'd be, he would be so pissed off if they were to cancel the season because, you know, Lakers have a really good team, could win the NBA championship. And then you see like a team like Milwaukee having the best season ever. And if they were to be, a, you know, season were to get canceled, then it's like, okay, you know, here's a, who's a great chance, blew it. Even with the Clippers, right, with Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, if the season were to get canceled, right, that loses a year off them. And yeah, I think you're right, Michael, that like if it, you know, if nothing can't get anything like, if they can't resume the season by July, then I would see it being canceled. Like, to make it just more pessimism than optimism right now, because what I'm hearing is that, you know, like, how could they possibly get it going? This coronavirus could go for, you know, who knows how much longer. So, you know, definitely see uh, definitely see what happens for sure. But they got time, right? And, yeah, they got time, and especially now with the Olympics being canceled. So, you know, they don't have to worry about that. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, as a fan, I want to see the NBA season and NHL finish. Uh, you know, but if it doesn't happen, then it doesn't happen, right? Jakar, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with you. And uh, Michael, like, even brought up there, like, if you can't get it by a certain date, I think that should be the target. Like, the GMs and uh, even the commissioner, they have to have a certain date where, okay, if it's not going by this, 2019 20 is done and just focus on the next season. But uh, Michael, as you brought that up, though, with uh, like Florida and some of these other teams that you know aren't going to make a playoffs regardless, should they experiment both the NHL and NBA on a single elimination? Like two weeks in July is going to be for the Stanley Cup, single elimination like North Dakota or somewhere. And the following two weeks, NBA, maybe Florida, if they can get a place down there. It's like that you can still push the draft and free agency and still start in October. Should they just do it uh, seven game series and keep it like that? Um, I look, all options are on the table, you know, don't leave any stone unturned. I just think that there would be like, I get it. If you are a, a Milwaukee and LA what on the NBA side, if you're a Milwaukee and LA, um, both LA teams or, you know, even a, a dark horse like Toronto or Philadelphia or or Denver or and even OKC, you would want the, the season to go on and you would want the the original format because no one can then take it away from you. However, 
you know, real, it has to be realistic. And, you know, they've got a good thing going with the way they schedule things um, sans pandemic. So, you know, it like they end it by June, they have an, a summer break come and then it goes into the fall. You want to ideally keep that status quo. And if there's not a way to do it, um, you don't do it. So if it comes to that and players agree to it because, you know, CBAs are are very fussy um, and rightfully so they should be. But if, you know, if a CBA agrees to kind of maneuver the playoff format around, I don't see why not. And I don't see why that would kind of diminish how, you know, if LeBron, let's say LeBron were to win a fourth ring. I don't think that would diminish it too greatly, but it does kind of leave an asterisk to it. Yeah. And, you know, for the NBA side, like, you know, you pretty much know who all the playoff teams are going to be. Yeah. uh, Right. So, but for the NHL, there's still teams where it's like so close, like, you know, like the eight seed, nine seed, 10 seeds, right. And I think both conferences, right. It's so close. So it's almost like for the NHL, you'd have to finish a regular season, go into the playoffs, but for the NBA, they could just go into a like, you know, two week training camp and then go right into the playoffs. So, and yeah, definitely be an asterisk for sure. And, and also too, like, I was just thinking this yesterday. So if the season were to resume and, you know, we're to crown champion. So, okay, you have the championship team. And then for the parade, you have no parade. Like, how are fans supposed to, like, celebrate? Like, you know, like, in front of, like, an empty who knows what, right? Because that's another element, too, with fans, right? So, because, you know, fans might not be allowed into arenas until there's a vaccine, you know, working, proven, which could take up to 18 months. Um, So that just adds another element of, like, how long do you think these sports can go, you know, if they were to play games with no fans in the stands? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a doctor, um, so I don't know when vaccines are going to come in um, for um, or when a doctor would say, hey, you know, it can, you know, what's the word? It can like bring the fans in. Let's have 20,000 seat stadiums, 40,000 seat stadiums go on. But what I do know from an economy and business perspective is gate sales are a super, super insignificant number, to be honest with you. Um, like, it's a great, it, for, for the TV audience, it's a great experience, but the NBA and their teams get money from the ticket, from the TV contracts, um, from the sponsorships, from the shoot, from the brand apparel deals, um, from the endorsement deals that the players get. It's not, so there is a way Right now, look, of course, the experience of it all, right? Having a parade, having screaming fans, having people, you know, cheer and rush the rush the crowd when when it wins. Those are things that are nice. They're nice, but they're not things that are important, right? In terms of the bottom line. So if you are, you know, a filthy economist, like a lot of these guys are, and let's be honest, whether you are a conservative or a liberal, you are thinking dollar signs, you know, you're thinking the dollaroos, you know, you're going to be okay with not having fans in the stadium, but still keeping the NBA going because it's not the end of the world, right? This isn't the 1960s where ticket sales was the be all end all. So to answer your question, they yeah. can do it. They can do it rather they can do it rather comfortably if they're given the all clear. 
Nicole, your thoughts? Yeah, I totally agree there. And the dollar signs, like I was even looking, the MLS commissioner and some of the, I think it was Atlanta United's uh, owner, GM, manager, they're all saying, oh yeah, we hope to get a full season in of soccer. Nothing can go wrong there. They have like 70,000 going to their stadium. So that sounds safe. But uh, now that all this thing is being pushed back, I don't even think MLS is going to have the season they want. Uh, Champions League is another one. We already know the Euro Cup's moving on. And then the World Cup is in the winter. So we're not back-to-back years of tournaments. Do you think this year will be an eye-opening experience that maybe some of these leagues need to change how close, I guess, they have players and uh, media from each other after every game? Um, Look, I think think that what the world has taught us um like what this year has taught us from a world perspective is there's a reason why you should get serious when you hear h1n1 or the ebola outbreak is taking place right um i remember when a couple years back with the nhl when there was the mumps outbreak and everyone kind of treated it like it was funny ah so-and-so's got the mumps you know um yeah you know, who that infamous segment on Tim and Sid where Sidney Crosby had the mumps and they basically <laughs> they basically tore the Pittsburgh um, Penguins staff a new one. But I think it's I think this year has taught us that, you know, the world is tricky and viruses are tricky. And, you know, do it like it's hard to tell when the next super big outbreak will happen. Maybe it'll happen in 2030. Maybe it'll happen in 2040. You know, you don't know, but I don't think at the same token, I don't think giving up your freedoms, you know, and giving up, you know, like giving up the privilege to, to, to meet a basketball player. And, and, you know, as a media person, a lot of the best beat, like I started on the beat, you know, you started on the beat, Giancarlo, like those things matter. Right. And if you were to take that away, the unintended consequences that would have to to the quality of enjoying your sports and the quality and even, you know, just to be a little selfish here, the quality of life for media members and athletes, you know, and accessibility, right, is a very slippery slope because today it's today it's you don't get to go on the beat. Tomorrow it's, you know, if a player has a scandal, you don't get to talk about the scandal. And then all of a sudden, right, yeah. your your sports teams control the narrative. Now, look, look, it's not we're not covering Watergate. Right. This is, you know, we're not we're not um, on in the White House. And if the players control the narrative, OK, so be it. But these are the things you have to consider when you start going into that question of like, OK, okay. you know, wh- where's the line of protection to to accessibility and enjoyment of the sport, you know? Yeah. And um, I remember like a couple weeks ago before the whole global pandemic really started, you know, like the MLB, like all the major leagues in North America, they kind of like had a joint policy where for the media, where it's like, you know, you can't go into the locker rooms and talk to the players. You have to have the players going like in a neutral kind of setting to talk to them. So, you know, that's something that I could see continuing when this is all over. Who knows if they'll go back to what it is. And then, um, and you know, and just from a fan's perspective, you know, like since like, you know, government officials and health officials are really drilling in, you know, avoid large crowds, social distancing and all that. I do see it can affect some people where when this is over, 
it'll just be like, you know, not going to go to a large crowd altogether. I'm just going to avoid sporting events, concerts or whatnot, because I'm just too terrified. And, you know, they'll just stay home. I can see that. But like, you know, our ancestors, when the, Sp- when the Spanish flu happened, they weren't exactly, you know, um, I-, I don't remember reading about people being scared to, to be in a large crowd when the Spanish flu was all said and done. Right. Um, when MERS took place, people were still in the crowds then. Right. I think, again, like at what point do you allow this experience? Like, yes, it's taught us to be a lot more careful. You know, it's taught us to be a lot more sanitary. It's taught us to do a lot of things differently. But at what point are you going to allow this virus to and look, I'm not one of those conspiracy theorists who say, let's let's go out and have bi- businesses tomorrow. And and, you know, let's have. But that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is, you know, it's an interesting question. Of, at what point do you allow this virus to hamper your quality of life? Right. Even after it's been said and done. So while it's an extra, it's an excellent question. I think I think this is a very interesting philosophical debate. Um, that bleeds into sports and beyond in the sense that like, where do you, where do you draw the line for you personally? And where do businesses draw the line? Right. Um, now look, as long as their pockets are lying, they're willing for anything. They're going to, they're going to, because look, it's a business it is what it is. Um, but I think we as fans should also just, you know, have intelligent and thoughtful thought processes of how you're going to deal with this moving forward, right? So if you're a fan and you're saying, when I'm talking post-pandemic, because I have every faith that the good people in hospitals who have trained years of their lives to do this will take care of this. When this is done, right? Not if, when this is done, right? You as a human being has to have to decide through intelligent thought process, processes individually and in groups of people, you have to decide what you will and will not do. And my only advice is don't let it affect your quality of life, right? Don't let it scare you into, you know, going to a sports event, going to a rock concert um, moving forward. Um, but it also, in the same token, is if you're that person who picks their nose and doesn't wash their hands, maybe it's time to start washing your hands. Or, you know, better yet, or better yet, maybe not pick your nose in the first place, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so uh, Michael... You know, before we wrap up here, um, we know that you're also right now competing regularly. You have your own podcast that you talk about MMA and stuff going on. So floor is yours. Promote your stuff. And how can everybody get a hold of you on social media? Oh, yeah. Um, thanks, man. I appreciate that. So uh, let's let's start with the social medias and the podcast. The podcast is called The Leg Kick. Uh, me and three other gentlemen, including another MMA fighter in Stefano Hosko and my brother, Jeremy Asifo has joined the fray. And obviously everyone knows David. Um, we do a podcast that is up every Monday and it's called the light kick. You can catch it on SoundCloud, um, YouTube, uh, Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, wherever you get your podcast from at the light kick, just type in the light kick. If I have to spell that for you, I'm kind of concerned for your life. Um, Instagram is at the leg kick at full word, all one word, no underscores, no spaces at the leg kick on Instagram. Um, Facebook group is the leg kick. 
And in terms of where you can get me personally, um, yeah, I do compete, um, you know, in Muay Thai and stuff. So just type in Michael Sipo. You'll see me on Twitter. Um, you'll see me on Instagram. Um, you know, if you type in my name, Asifo spelled A-S-I-F-F-O. And yeah, it was, it was, you know, real fun to be here and it's a real privilege. Do you have any upcoming fights? Uh, you know, I, a lot of the, so I wanted, there was a lot of, um, you know, plans that kind of got derailed due to the uh, COVID-19 outbreak. So I don't know um, when I'm going to be competing next. But you know what? I was I was really looking forward to competing in April. Um, so we were going to get right back to it, right back on the horse. Obviously, uh, the last fight didn't go my way. You know, it was a real hyped up uh, fight, two undefeated guys, and we're going to go in there, and someone's O had to go, and unfortunately, it was my O that left. But we, you know, we're gonna we're gonna get back on the horse. So as soon as the outbreak's over, um, if you're following me on Twitter, Instagram, so far, um, whatever. You'll know you'll hear about it. Um, so I'll, I'll be I'll be ready to go, and you know the posters will be up, and everything will be, um, um, you know, will be kosher stuff. Yeah. So thanks, Michael, for joining us, and uh, you know, been fun too talking with you guys, catching up, see what you're doing, and you know, just great. You know, even for a little bit, you know, just to talk about sports, you know, just as a distraction, right, from everything that's uh, going on in the world around us, and uh, yeah, it's been fun. Yeah. Thanks guys. Again, you know, like it's obviously not very many people know this, but we go way back. So, um, it was fun talking yeah. to you guys again. Same here. And now back to your vibe, vibe one Oh five.